Jesus, thank you for your word. Um, this, this text we've been in this quarter, Colossians, has just been rich, rich. Um, and there is, there's no end to the fruitfulness, uh, to the, 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 the life that this text can produce for us. If we will mine it, if we'll uh, till the soil of your word. Lord, as we end the, the letter tonight, we pray that you would speak to us through the end of the letter. We thank you for your servant Paul who wrote this down. We thank you for your servants, the Colossian church, the young, emerging, culturally endangered Colossian church who kept this letter, who preserved this letter and copied it for us so it would, it would come down the ages to us. We thank you, Spirit, for coordinating the whole process and for speaking to us tonight in ways that will make things stick permanently. In your name, Jesus, amen. 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 Well, the school... The school. School is almost out for the summer. We are, we are like, how many of you ran track? Any of you run track in high school or maybe you run track in college now? Um, I ran the four by one and I, I, have, I, I don't have short little legs so I didn't run the corners. They wanted the short leg guys to run the corners. I ran the straightaway so I was the second leg and our super strong anchor, you know, buried the guys at the end. It was awesome but Always watching him come around that last corner was fantastic. That's where you guys are at. You are coming around that last corner a couple of more weeks. You're going to bust through the final finish line. Like that? Final finish line? Final's coming. Okay. So I want to start with something kind of fun, okay? Time for, for kindergarten time, okay? So everybody, close your eyes. I'm going to open my eyes so I can read my notes, but all the rest of you have to keep your eyes closed. Close them. Okay, here we go. You ready? I want you to think back in your head. Jordan Nash, close your eyes. I want you to think back in your head to your own personal very first Friday night at CCF. Think back to the very first time you came to a Friday night at CCF. Try to remember what it felt like. If you're a freshman this year, you probably felt new, felt nervous, and probably excited at the same time. You probably hoped people would be nice to you. If you're an upperclassman or a returner, you were probably so excited to be back to see all your friends after the summer. So excited to to reconnect, but also to meet the new people so they feel welcome. Be nice to them. Think about who brought you that very first time. Who was the first? Who brought you that first time? Or a different way, why did you come that night? Why did you come? And now, with your eyes still closed, think about who you are Tonight, after all that time has passed. Think about what the Lord has shown you between then and now. Think of the friends you've made. Think of what you've learned about following Jesus. Learned about yourself. Look how you've grown. Think about how you've changed. Those of you who are here for the first time, this might be a little weird because we're talking about like 20 minutes ago. (laughs) I'm so different. Oh, my goodness. 
Eyes closed. Think of the people, picture in your mind, the people you met in your core this year. Core leaders, think about who you got to know in your peer teams. Now, open your eyes. And look around the room. Look at this kind of relational, communal, spiritual network that you have knit yourself into this year. As you have dived into CCF, engaged in the Jesus mission, and have let the Lord shape you in his community. Isn't that so cool? It's good to do at the end of a year to think about where have I come from? How have I changed? What have I learned? How have I grown? Who is Jesus shaping me into? It's cool stuff. Now, keep that in mind because we're at the end of the book of Colossians. Um, next week, the seniors bring the word to us. Dun-dun! Because we actually think that everybody in God's family should be a part of bringing God's word to everybody else. But this week, we're going to look at the very end of the letter to the Colossians, which is kind of where we've been all quarter, asking ourselves, what does it look like to grow up in Jesus? Or another way to to, to put it is to mature in Christ. And this closing section, in many of your Bibles subtitles these last 12 verses with the stirring title, Final Greetings. I don't know if I saw a movie on Netflix called Final Greetings, if I'd be very excited to like, oh, what's that about? Next week on Final Greetings. It's not especially gripping. Um, In fact, a quick glance at these verses doesn't help that much either. (laughs) All these foreign Hard-to-pronounce names of people we don't know. Sending their greetings. Hey, say hi to so-and-so. Hey, say hi to Sam. Hey, Sam. Sam, all right. You were dead like 2,000 years ago. So skimming it like that can kind of tempt us to skip this section. Like, like you would fast-forward through the, through the credits at the end of a movie, right? I don't want to see who, who the, the co-editor, producer, fourth cameraman was. I want to get to the, you know, the, the outtakes at the end of the Pixar movie or whatever. <laughs> but here's the deal. Don't. Don't skip it. These are not like movie credits. These are here on purpose. Paul has a reason. Paul is way too sophisticated and smart and, and like cheap to waste parchment paper. In the ancient world, you're sending a letter you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles away you're not going to like be like, oh, by the way, oh, I don't know, maybe I'll say this, maybe I won't. You're going to be super thoughtful. Okay, this has to travel in the ancient world like on, by foot, maybe by sea. I have to make sure it gets there. I have this much space. I have to, you know, this, this, this has got to get there. I've got to be careful. What do I say? And so he includes these, this long list of hellos and greetings and, 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 and connection points for a reason. For a reason. So it's worth chewing on the way we're going to tonight. Okay? It matters to us and it mattered to them. It's in these verses that we get a wonderful glimpse into Paul's relational world. And we can see the importance that he and the gospel places on relationships. And as we ask ourselves the question, what does it look like to mature in Christ, which is what we've been doing all, all quarter, here we get a chance to see some good and other not so good examples of Christian living that are meant to help us consider our own lives as followers 
of Jesus. Or if you're still checking out Jesus, what this might look like if you were to follow him. Now, I want to have a particular image in, in our head. Uh, this, this, uh, this image comes from David Nebel, who, who has preached this sermon before, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a, a vicious plagiarizer because he's a great preacher. But the image that I want to have you guys have in your minds is of a quilt. Okay, how many of you have, grew up around quilts? Yeah, okay, okay, great. Grandma made you one, mom made you one, dad made you one, I don't know, no judgment here. Um, quilts are made by stitching individual pieces of material together, often with quite a variety of materials, and making one big blanket. Yeah? I think a quilt is a really helpful image tonight, um, because that's what's going on here in these closing verses, for what it means for how Paul answers the question, what does it mean to grow up in Christ? What does it mean to mature in Jesus? N.T. Wright, who is a, a New Testament scholar, historian, writes this, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the message concerning what Jesus is up to, the gospel, is not about abstract ideas. This is not theory. This is not, oh, what a nice notion. This is not Aesop's fables. It's about people. It's about relationships in real time that actually make a difference. And so following Jesus will have visible, practical effects in your relational world. If it's the real thing. If it makes no difference, then psh, forget it. What's the big, who, who needs another idea that's nice? But if it makes a difference, the world becomes different. Changes. People matter to God. Relationships matter. That's the heart of the gospel, being in right relationship with God and with each other. And what God is doing in Christ, what God is up to in the world, is stitching our lives. He's making a quilt. He's stitching our lives first into Christ, and then he is stitching our lives together with each other. He's making this enormous worldwide blanket stitched first to Christ and then to each other. Because the result of our lives stitched into him and into one another is this beautiful tapestry. A beautiful picture. Again, look around the room. Think about your core. Think about all the deep, rich, relational connections you've made because you decided to stitch your life into Jesus when he invited you to. And it's not always easy, this stitching together process, right? Some of us Quilt patches are kind of oddly shaped, <laughs> strangely colored. We're, we're a weird people. I mean, we're people, and we're diverse. And we're not all best friends. <gasps> what? I hate to break it to you. I just do not have enough space or time in my life to actually share life enough with all of you to call all of you my best friend. We can be friends on Facebook. But there's nothing best about Facebook. You will not get to know me nor walk with me through life by following sentences about who I am and what I'm up to. Actually, it's mostly about my, it's funny things my kids say. But I am committed to you. I am committed to you. And you have committed yourselves to each other. And you've, you, you've, you've, we've, we have entered the process together of stitching ourselves to Jesus. And what you find is you don't find you're just this one little piece of cloth attached to Jesus. You find, oh, dude, what? There's another piece of cloth right here. 
and it's a person. Hi. And you become this network, this blanket of connected people. <laughs> so as we look at this patchwork, Paul sort, of, Paul sort of lays out his Colossian quilt at the end of this book, at the end of this letter. He lays out his relational network. As we look at this relational network, let's ask ourselves two questions, okay? Over the whole course of the whole time, ask yourselves two questions. First, what does it look like to stay stitched into Christ and into community as we close out the school year? What does it look like to stay stitched into Christ and into community as you wrap up the school year? Jonathan said it well. We're gonna, the summer changes things. You develop patterns over the course of the school year. What's it look like to stay stitched? Second one, what kind of person am I? What kind of quilt square am I? Am I the kind of person others want to be stitched to? Am I a, a blessing to the people that I'm close with? Am I a, am I a positive, truth-speaking, honest, genuine, compassionate, whatever you know, good adjective you can put in there that sounds like Jesus? Am I that kind of square to the people the Lord is stitching close to me? What kind of square am I? What kind of quilt patch am I? Okay? So as you read through these final greetings, let's ask ourselves these two questions. Let's start by reading verses 7 through 9 in, uh, in chapter 4, okay? Now, good luck with these names. I'm going to give it my best go. For those of you who know Greek, do not mock me, because I don't, okay? Tychicus. I don't know. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Okay? So our first two introductions. Now, from what we know... Oh, shoot. Oh, well, that's right. I was going to include a map in here. That's fine. Tychicus, from what we know about church history, he is probably, his hometown is probably Ephesus, okay? And Ephesus is like the big, big city in the region, and all these other cities are kind of smaller. Uh, Colossae, Hierapolis, Laodicea, these different cities are kind of small towns attached to like Ephesus, like urban center, okay? So Tychicus probably grew up there. We know that he, he had accompanied Paul to Jerusalem as a representative of his church, with the collection for the poor. So if you look at Acts 20, verse 4, you'll find him mentioned as a part of Paul's entourage, traveling back to Jerusalem to raise money for, poor, for uh, bringing a gift to the, the poor in the church of Jerusalem from the churches surrounding in the Gentile areas. If you look at the very end of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 1, we learn that Tychicus is, t- is the one that is tasked with the responsibility of delivering that letter as well as well as this letter to the Colossians on behalf of Paul. Now again, you've got to think in terms of the ancient world. How important to Paul do you think it was to get these two letters safely to these emerging communities? I mean, this is the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians. Hey, we're going to put, you know, you know you, the, the president and vice president never fly together, right? Paul sends both letters with this one guy. If something happens to Tychicus, we don't get Ephesians or Colossians. 
So here's the question. The next question is, what kind of a person do you think Paul would trust with this kind of a job? Someone who's dear to him, who's faithful, and is a servant. That's what Paul says about him. Paul can count on this guy. This guy is reliable. And not just to deliver a letter, as important as that is. Here's a letter. My job is done. No. To deliver a letter and also to be a good pastor. Also to be pastoral. Here's a letter and I'm going to encourage your hearts. Tychicus must be the kind of guy who is reliable, steady, faithful, and really good at encouraging people. That's who Paul wants to send to these communities. So with that first quilt patch that Paul gives us of his sort of stitched together relational life, we should ask ourselves this question. Are you a trustworthy person? Are you the kind of person who God and other people in this community can count on? Am I? Am I someone who God can count on to convey his words, his messages, in in a sense, to deliver God's letters to people? Am I the kind of person who God says, I need to encourage this community? Who can I send? Ah, I want to send you, because I know you'll do a great job. I know you will be the kind of encourager I'm looking for. On the other hand, think about this for a minute. Who has been a Tychicus to you? When you think about someone who is reliable and who has encouraged you this year, who comes to mind? I think it would be a great idea to write that name down. Someone who has been trustworthy, reliable, who has always told you the truth, who has always carried the truth to you, and who has encouraged you in your walk with the Lord. I think it would be great to tell them whether in a card or in person, face-to-face, to say, hey, I had this, this, this guy ask us who has been a Tychicus to me. Tychicus is a really cool guy. He's like this kind of guy. And when they asked, who comes to mind? Who descri- who, what kind of a friend do you have who, descri- who fits that description? I said you. Thank you for being that kind of person to me. Thank you for always carrying God's message to me, always telling me the truth. Thank you for being the kind of person who encourages me. Tell him. That's what God's people are like, huh? Okay, who's next? Onesimus. Former slave Onesimus. You find that out in another book. Okay, let me give you a little bit of background on the way Colossians works. Paul is in prison with a couple of people, and a, a, a delegation of folks from this region have come to visit him. How you doing? Everything okay? Paul says, yeah, yeah, let me write you guys. Let me send a letter back with you guys. Let me tell everybody about how we're doing. Boom. It's likely that Colossians, the letter of Colossians went with his crew. It's also likely, if you read your Bibles, there's a really small book called Philemon. Philemon is probably one of the leaders in the Colossian church. And Paul says, ooh, 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 I've got a personal letter to write to Philemon. About Onesimus. Here, Onesimus, you grab this one. You're going to need it. And then Ephesians. What's weird about Ephesians is if you read in the book of Acts, Paul spent a significant amount of time in Ephesus. Like over two, like I think two years. So he knows a ton of people. Ephesus, he's like relationally connected all over the place. But at the end of the book of Ephesus, there's no hellos. There's like, hey, Tychicus says hi, and so-and-so says hi. Grace and peace be yours. I'm in. You'd think for a guy who'd been there for two years, he'd have this long, scrolling list of, say hi to so-and-so, and oh my goodness, I missed him so much. What scholars assume is that because Ephesus was like urban center headquarters for the rest of the, the, rest of the surrounding towns, 
that the letter of Ephesians is likely a circular letter. So when Paul says, also read the letter that I sent to the Laodiceans at the end of this section, that could be the letter of Ephesians, making the rounds. So he doesn't make it specific to a certain people. This is for everybody. It's, It's shooting around the cities. So there's this delegation of folks who are coming. Onesimus is in this delegation. Okay? How many of you um, were at that pizza theology in the fall where we talked about how to study the Bible inductively? Yeah? How many of you studied the book of Philemon? Hands high. Yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. Study the book. It's cool. Full of secrets. Actually, what's funny, they're not secrets at all. They're there in the text if you read them. But so many people, they read Philemon and go, oh, this book's like 18 sentences long. Well, whatever, it doesn't change my life. Study that thing, the world changes. It's an amazing book. It's an amazing book. Now, if you read the book of Philemon, you will meet Onesimus. He is Philemon's runaway slave who somehow found Paul in prison and gave his life to Christ, probably under Paul's influence. And now Paul is sending Onesimus... Philemon's runaway slave, back with a special letter for Philemon from Paul. And in that personal letter, Philemon, or Paul rather, asks Philemon to forgive Onesimus for running away and probably robbing him in the process. And even more than that, he asks Philemon to free Onesimus with the possibility of sending Onesimus back to Paul to keep meeting his needs in prison. Now, the punishment in the Roman Empire for a runaway slave is execution. So Onesimus is taking a significant risk returning home to his master, who he robbed and ran away from. So Paul says, I'm going to send you a letter to my friend Philemon, who owns you at the moment, according to cultural law. And if the gospel means anything, he will no longer treat you like a slave. He will treat you like a brother, because that's what you are now. And he will set you free. And he will treat you like a co-servant. He will become your servant. Because the gospel turns things upside down. Masters become servants to their slaves. Will you care for this? Read the book of Philemon. It's all in there. It's incredible. People say, oh, the Bible's in favor of slavery. No way. No way. It's the Judeo-Christian worldview that injected into ancient first world culture the ingredients that dismantled slavery over the long term. Jesus is fantastic. Um, Again, the gospel is not about abstract ideas. It's not just good theory. It's got practical implications in real time. It's one thing to say, oh yeah, Jesus forgave my sins. Sing that song. It's the Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive me as I forgive those who sin against me. And then you see the guy who robbed your house walking back towards you down the road. What the heck is he doing back here? Letter from Paul. Can you imagine? And so Paul reads this letter, or Philemon reads this letter. Treat this guy as if the gospel actually makes a difference. Treat this guy as a forgiven one, which you are one of, Philemon, my good buddy. Wink, wink. You really have to do this if this gospel makes any difference. But I love you, and I won't make you do it for sure. It's a fantastic read. You've got to read it. Now, that is hard. But that is the gospel. One of the reasons I'm a Christian is because I actually believe the only hope for the peace of the world, for peace on earth, is the Jesus mission. I actually think that people meeting Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior 
is the solution to world conflict. Because it takes a supernatural God to give us the supernatural ability to actually forgive. The gospel is what makes a difference on the ground. doesn't mean other methods aren't, you know, don't work at all, but I think that the ultimate solution is the gospel. Jesus and his people reorder everything. And we give up our right to settle the score. Perhaps as you reflect on this year, you may find yourself in a situation where the gospel really needs to be worked out in certain relationships. Where reconciliation needs to take place. Maybe with a friend, or a sibling, or a parent. Summer's approaching, and there's strife in some relational direction around you. And God wants to stitch you together with this person in a new way. A supernatural way that only his love can do toward legitimate forgiveness and healing and restoration. Doesn't mean the relationship has to return to you know, what it was like before anything happened. Relationships don't function that way usually. Histories matter. But the Lord has something new in that for you. Or maybe it's you. Functioning like Paul, functioning as a third party, seeing two brothers or sisters in Christ, or a brother and sister in Christ, in strife. Onesimus and Philemon, the runaway slave who owes this guy a ton of money, the guy who has every right to execute this guy. Hey, as your brother, would you forgive? He's good now. On my reputation, he's good. Would you forgive him? Would you treat him like a brother? Maybe the Lord wants you to play that role. Church history tells us about how Philemon responded to Paul's Request slash demand. He responded to his runaway slave. Well, let me just read it to you. There's a guy named Ignatius of Antioch in the very first decade of the second century. He was one of the church leaders in Antioch. And he writes this letter and he mentions our runaway slave friend. Ignatius writes this to a congregation. In God's name, therefore, I received your large congregation in one person. One person came to me on behalf of your congregation. I received your large congregation in the person of Onesimus. Your bishop in this world. Onesimus has become a bishop in the church, in the ancient world. A man whose love is beyond words. So changed by the real life implications of what Jesus is up to. My prayer is that you should love him in the spirit of Jesus Christ and all be like him. Blessed is the one who let you have such a bishop. Philemon let Onesimus be stitched to him in a new way. Not as a slave, but as a brother, as a co-worker, and Onesimus eventually becomes a bishop in the early church. Now, We are two verses in to the final greetings of the letter. You didn't know you could learn this much from final greetings. (laughs) Better keep reading. Verse 10 and 11. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is also called Justice, just to make sure we're clear. Jesus also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus. We get glimpses of this guy, Aristarchus, in Acts. 
He sounds like a good man to have in a tight corner. All right? From what we read about him, he was there with Paul um, in Ephesus. When Paul spent that significant amount of time in Ephesus, a riot broke out because what they were preaching was deconstructing a lot of the commercial economic stability of Ephesus. Ephesus has uh, the, the, the cult of the, the goddess Artemis at the center of its economic structure. And so for, for someone to preach a different god, a different way of worshiping, and for it to gain wide success meant a significant threat to the economic structure built on this, this one uh, you know, divine cult in that sense. And so there's a riot that breaks out. And, uh, and Paul is with Aristarchus in this riot. In fact, he's so close in the midst, of the, in the midst that he gets arrested too. When they're, you know, where, where's the epicenter of this riot? Oh, gra- okay, grab these guys. Boom, boom. Aristarchus is so close to Paul that he gets grabbed too in the middle of the riot. He was also uh, with Paul on the ship that gets wrecked on his trip to Rome. And now he's, a, he's in Rome as a fellow prisoner with Paul. Here is a person who is not a fair-weather disciple or a fair-weather friend. Here we have loyalty to Christ and loyalty to Paul at whatever cost to himself. My best friend goes to jail, I go to jail too. You lock him up, lock me too. I don't separate from this guy. We stay. We come as a set. Raises the question for us, what kind of friends are we? What kind of Christians are we? When Jesus' name is being torn through the mud, are you dragged through the mud too? Or do you stand back and say, well, I'll probably talk to them after things cool down. Tell them, oh, hey, I'm a Jesus person. My freshman year, I went to a, a rugby team meeting because I was thinking about playing for the, for the Hogs. I played rugby all through high school. And uh, that particular rugby team, that particular group of guys was really raunchy. Really, it was, it was like... Sex, drugs, alcohol, oh yeah, and we'll play rugby on the weekends when we're hungover. The, the team's changed a little bit now. I, don't, I mean, I, I've had friends who were you know, missionaries to that team since then. It's, I don't, who knows what it's like now? But when I was there, I was like, wow, this is, whew. And the coach, for a minute, he was giving this sort of intro stuff, and he stopped and said, wait a minute. I'm sorry, wait a minute. Are there any Christians here? And I had come from a Christian household, and at that point, I would have called myself a Christian. And what I did was... I was so racked with guilt after that, I chased down the team captain after the meeting. I ran up to him and said, excuse me, excuse me, I'm a Christian. <laughs> Everybody had left. It was only the one guy. And he goes, how much do you weigh? I'm like, oh, I, 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 you know, I told him how much I weighed. Secret. And he said, you'd be, you know, you'd be a great fullback. We need a fullback. I told him I played fullback. Didn't even, didn't even flinch about the Christian thing. So yeah, don't worry about that Christian stuff. Don't worry, you'll be, you'll be fine here. I decided not to play. But I totally whisked out when I had my chance. I was still freshman, still trying to figure out what I thought about Jesus anyway, but at that point I would have said, yeah, probably me. What kind of fair-weather friend am I? Will I be an Aristarchus when it gets inconvenient? Will I be an Aristarchus when my grade's on the line? So, oh yeah, I'd go to prison for Jesus. Really? Will you get a bad grade for him? I wonder. Then we meet Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, if you follow Mark's story, by the end of his life, Mark is Mr. Popular. Mark is cool. He's also called John Mark in some places. So you'll see the name uh, referring to the same guy, the same story with different names. John Mark, John Mark. It's the same, same dude. 
Peter loves him, calls him uh, my beloved son, probably his disciple, in 1 Peter 5.13. He wrote the Gospel of Mark, probably the first one written, the mo- the, kind of the, the original uh, Gospel, which many of you have been chewing on in discipleship class. Yes? Yes? Yeah. And he uses a lot of Peter's experiences. If you read through the book of Mark, a lot of it is told with Peter as one of the leading characters. Which makes sense. If Mark was Peter's disciple, he says, tell me about Jesus. And Peter says, oh man, let me tell you. I was a goon, but Jesus saved my life. The whole story is like that. It's, 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 it's a lot of Peter's experiences in composing the gospel. It's obvious they were close. But his story does not start that way. In Acts 13.5, we learn that Mark probably showed a lot of promise. Kind of an up-and-coming young guy who they were going to try to get into the leadership of the group. And Paul and Barnabas ask him to come with them on their first missionary journey. Hey, Mark, you should come with us. We want to train guys like you. We want to try to pass on what we're doing to guys like you. But he leaves halfway through the trip. He pieces out. He whisked out midway in verse 13. You read about it. Then, later on, Paul and Barnabas are headed out on their second missionary journey, and Barnabas wants to take Mark with them again. Paul says, seriously? The guy left us hanging halfway. I don't trust him. I don't, he's not ready. I don't, I, don't, I don't want him on my team. I don't want to get... When you're traveling in the ancient world and part of your posse pieces out, that is uncool. It's dangerous to travel on the roads. You've got to go in a group. And when your group shrinks, it makes you a more vulnerable group. He left us hanging. In fact, it becomes a point of such dispute between them that they actually decide to go on separate missionary journeys. Barnabas says, if you won't take Mark, then I'm not coming either. Paul says, you want to take Mark? I'm not going with you. And these are good Christian founders of the movement. It's very human, isn't it? Thank Jesus we're still moving. So Barnabas takes Mark. Paul takes a guy named Silas instead. So Mark starts out as a fairly controversial character. Even someone like Paul wasn't willing to risk putting him in leadership. Now the good news is, that is not the end of the story. In fact, in a different letter written to Timothy, Paul's other young, young buddy, Paul says that Mark is helpful to me in my ministry. 1 Timothy 4, verse 11. Mark, I think, in this Paul's sort of patchwork quilt laid out for us to the Colossians, Mark stands as a reminder of grace, a redeemed story, one who had deserted Paul and his work and was thus deemed unfit, untrustworthy, with spiritual leadership. In fact, maybe part of the reason why Paul says, if you, you've received instructions about him, if, you, if he comes to you, welcome him. Maybe they know the first part of Mark's story. Hey, hey, this guy's cool now. Accept him. He's ready. Because now he's commended. Now this is all really good news for us. Because this is how God treats us. We get second chances. God redeems our mistakes and our failures. And is able to make our lives fruitful in his kingdom. God's quilt is a patchwork of sinners who are stitched together by grace and mercy. He is the God of second chances. And maybe tonight you need to hear that. Maybe as you reflect on your year, you're like, God, I feel like I blew it. I feel like I wasted most of the year. Hear Mark's story. He blew it legitimately. He legitimately failed. He legitimately dropped the ball. He rebelled. He pieced out on Jesus and the mission and the friends he had made who believed in him and who thought he could pull it off, and he didn't. If that's you, then remember that Mark becomes 
that guy. This is not the end of your story. This is not the end of your story. Maybe you feel passed over. Maybe you feel like someone said, I don't think they're ready for this position next year in our community. That is not the end of your story. Get hooked in, stay committed, and grow. And you can become this kind of mark. Don't get grumpy because Paul said, I don't want to take him. Say, you know what? I'm going to grow. If Paul doesn't think I'm ready, I'm going to grow. Jesus, change me so that I can become the kind of person that you want me to be. And then Paul will later say, oh, this guy, this guy's on. He's money. Right? Or maybe you need to give someone a second chance. Maybe you need to believe that someone else can be a mark. It's good stuff in here. Okay? Let's read verses 12 through 13. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis, other Ephesian suburbs. Now, we met him at the very beginning. If you remember, he's probably the founder of the church in Colossae. Philemon is probably one of the current leaders, but Epaphras probably founded the, the community. And apparently, he's one of the overseers of these believers. And this kind of, you know, it's like a Tri-Cities kind of situation. These three little Hierapolis, Laodicea, Colossae. And he's commended for his hard work and his valiant life of prayer for these believers. It's interesting, the word that's used, he's always wrestling in prayer for you. The Greek is the same as in verse, chapter 1, verse 29, when Paul says that he is struggling with all of God's energy to present the Colossians maturing Christ. He uses the same, same word here. Wrestling, struggling, striving, endeavoring with sweat. Prayer can be a kind of wrestling. Prayer is, is an endeavor. If it were easy, we'd do it a lot more, wouldn't we? It's work. It takes focus and energy and drive. And yet, as we have seen in this community and on this campus, prayer helps us stitch our lives to each other, doesn't it? When you pray together, these prayer meetings that have, that have burst up, when you pray together and you see each other later, you're like, oh, we prayed. Right? You start hearing stories about what's happening in these other prayer meetings. You start hearing stories about what happens after these prayer meetings end, and they go have conversations. And you come back and say, you'll never believe what happened after we prayed. I prayed for this, and guess what happened? This happened. And everybody goes, yeah. It's like the thread that stitches us together. Think about this coming summer. Here is a wonderful way to remain mindful and connected to one another. Pray for this community over the summer. As we scatter, will we make it a priority? Will you and I stitch each other to our hearts in prayer? Pray for your cores. Pray for your friends. Pray for the people you haven't even met yet who are coming to this campus looking for Jesus, whether they would call it that or not. Let's go to verse 14. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. We meet Paul, one of Paul's best friends here, Luke. And now, get this, Luke wrote the majority of the New Testament. Everybody thinks it's Paul. But when you take the book of Luke and the book of Acts, there's actually more scripture in those two combos than anybody else who writes. 
So Luke is the most proficient writer in the New Testament, and he's buddies with Paul. He's good friends with Paul. In fact, he would travel with Paul on some of his stories. And so when you read the book of Acts, there are points where the story changes to first person. The disciples did this, the disciples did this, Paul did this, and then we got on the boat. And you're like, whoa, what just happened? Luke enters the story. I'm writing this, so hey, I'll tell you my part of it. Blah, 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 I was on a boat. And there's a section of, there's a section of Acts that's it's Luke's writing in the first person. It's really cool. And he shows up in a number of places, okay? But Demas, there's another story. There's nothing specifically said of him here. He's called a fellow laborer in Philemon. A number of, a number of guys and gals who show up in this hello greeting part also show up in Philemon. And some of them show up at the end of Ephesians, very few. You can cross-check all these letters for the names. But later on in Paul's life, Paul likely gets out of this prison term. Because at the end of the Philemon letter, he says, I I expect to be released and to be restored to you soon, so prepare a guest room for me. It's an interesting way of of making sure that what he asks for Philemon happens. Hey, I do this for my friend, and I'm coming to see you. (laughs) And I expect Onesimus to be there when I come. But he expects to get out of this. At the end of 2 Timothy, if you read Paul's language, Paul knows this is probably it. it. He's in a dank, a very different kind of experience. He's freezing cold. One of the things he says to Timothy is, please bring my coat. Why in the world do you say, oh, bring, bring my coat? I left my RA jacket at your house. Could you come bring it? No, 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 no. He's in prison. He's freezing. Bring a cloak. And bring the parchment so I can keep writing letters from this, from this pit cell in Rome with a grate over top of me. So when it rains, I just stand in kind of the rainwater. Send my coat. This is probably the end, at the end of 2 Timothy. The, the hardest point of, of Paul's life. Well, I don't know about the hardest, but the, it's certainly the end. 2 Timothy 4.10 says this. Do your best to Timothy to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. And he runs off to another city. Isn't it interesting that it is simply not enough to begin well with enthusiasm and service. It is not enough to be called a fellow laborer at first. There is no guarantee that because you served well once, you will always be that kind of person. This life that you have embarked on as college students, this life attached to Jesus, is not a sprint It's a marathon with definite temptations all along the way. At every transition, at every season, from now till you die, there are temptations that will try to lure us away from a love for God and a love for His people. Try to unstitch us. It's not enough to have had a few great years of Christian enthusiasm back in college. You must continue on in faith and obedience wherever God leads you, in every season. At every point, you've got to say, Lord, what do you want me to do next? There's a, there's a campus pastor down at the UW named Dave Giles. He'd been in California for a significant chunk of years, raising kids there, established, rooted. And at one point he said, Jesus, all right, do you want us to stick around? We can plant here. We like California. We'll stick around. Jesus said, I want you to go to Texas. So family man, Dave Giles, Okay, uproots his whole family. You know what that costs emotionally, socially, financially? 
plops down in Texas. Another significant portion of years. Rebuilds the life. Rebuilds friendship. Two years ago, Jesus starts pinging his ear again. Hey, Seattle needs a guy with your skill set. And you're it. Will you go? Jesus, you are my king. I will follow you wherever you go. With no conditions on that statement. Boom, Seattle. This is the kind of people we are called to be. Just because you made a sacrifice once, like Demas probably did, guarantees nothing for the long term. That's why Jesus says, morning by morning, get up and say, King of the universe, reporting for duty, Lord. What do you want me to do? Not like I'm the king of the universe reporting for duty. I'm reporting to the king of the universe. (laughs) Now here's the thing. Don't be Demas. And the way you practice not being a Demas is by starting this summer. Start not being Demas this summer. Make a commitment to be in Christian community as much as you can this summer. One of the ways the enemy traps us is when we are alone. One of the first signs that we are abandoning Christ is when we abandon real Christian relationships. We sever the stitches of real community and begin to pull ourselves out of the quilt. Let's go to verse 15 and 16. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Paul wants to make sure the Colossians greet each other and swap letters with the other Jesus community in Laodicea. Yet another way that Paul is encouraging the communities to be knit together, to be stitched together, even across geography, Remembering that we are part of something much bigger, much grander than just our local community. Paul is always elevating his eyes. And don't forget, the world is changing. The Roman Empire is changing. There's this great line at the end of Philippians where Paul is probably in in the same prison situation that he's at in this story, uh, in in this set of letters. And he writes a letter to to Philippi. He's he's kind of in Roman headquarters. He's kind of in the the, the growing, increasingly anti-Jesus headquarters in Rome. And his closing thing to the Philippians, who are Rome, you know, uh, really high on the Roman Empire, it's part of what his letter's about, trying to change their allegiances, he says, oh, and by the way, members of Caesar's household say hello. They're in the family, too. This goes all the way to the top. <laughs> it's so cool. He's always doing that. He's always lifting our eyes higher than just, oh, what's it like in Colossae? Oh, it's so hard here. Hey, the brothers and sisters who are dealing with the same stuff all over the place, bless you too. Tell them hi for me. Send this letter. You read the letter I wrote them. He's building this, 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 this quilt work that flops over the whole ancient world. Remember, we're a part of something bigger. It's not just us and our little silo. We are a part of a worldwide movement that is currently in motion. Don't forget that over the summer. You're part of something bigger. Now, before he closes... Paul has one more person to introduce to us, okay? Verse 17, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. The last name that he leaves ringing in our ears, 
Archippus. He's mentioned in Paul's letter to Philemon, where Paul refers to him as our fellow soldier. And we don't know if he was actually a soldier or if Paul is simply using a familiar term he's used for Archippus in the past. We don't know. But with Paul, what Paul leaves us with, the final endorsement that he puts in front of the Colossians and in front of us, is this challenge. Finish well. Don't leave your work from God undone. And we have no idea what Paul is talking about. We have no idea what ministry, but you know that Archippus knows. When Paul says that, Archippus is not going to go, what are you talking about? No, Paul knows he knows. If Paul told you, finish the work that God gave you to do, what would he mean to you? If that's his line to you, what would he say? My freshman year, I spent trying to learn what it means to be courageous for Jesus and failed most of the time. I was so anxious and self-conscious and all that kind of stuff. Move out week. We were doing finals, and I had not yet talked to my neighbor about Jesus. My neighbor named Frank. Lots of Frank stories. He's a great guy. And I'd never told him about my faith. And we had talked, I mean, he'd been in scenarios where I could have, and I didn't. And so two days before he moves in, moves out, I walk into his room and I'm saying, Frank, I have to talk to you. He goes, okay. So we've been friends for a long time and I have not told you the most important thing in the world to me. And I would not be a good friend if I didn't tell you, share this like most important thing about me with you. And I I tried to stumble my way through telling him the good message about Jesus. He was very kind, very very gracious. But I had a strong sense that God said, don't you leave until you tell Frank. Talk to Frank. I have no idea. I, it was highly, highly, I would not advertise this is the way to do it. <laughs> way lame Last minute, stuttery, uncomfortable. Okay, that's all I wanted to say. See ya. Ah. You know? <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. I mean, it wasn't okay that I'd whisked out up to that point. But the fact that I tried to turn around, I think that was okay. I have no idea where Frank is now. Who knows? Who knows? Get to heaven and Frank's like, Jeff, you are so weird. <laughs> but thank you. That was some awkward pebble that started kickstarting a whole avalanche in my life. I have no idea. No idea. How does God want you to close? As we reflect, of all the people we've met in Paul's quilt, who stands out to you? Who echoes for you? Like, ah, that's me. God is calling me to be that kind of person. Or to say something to that kind of person in my life. What does it look like for you in the summer to stay stitched into Christ and into community as we close out the school year? What kind of a quilt patch are you? Are you the kind of person others want to be stitched to? Paul ends with the highest blessing that he possibly knows. His deep hope that the favor of God would be what helps us to mature in Christ as we're stitched to Jesus and to each other. He says, may God's grace be with you. Let's pray.